are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locks on Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locks on Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, I always got to say this before we start every show, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. But what are we discussing on today's pod? Well, we got one half of the Locked on Astros pod on today's pod, that is Brett Wheelhouse, and we're going to be discussing the Hall of Fame once again. We had a little appetizer with my friend JT Shorter on, but now it's time for the main course with Brett. So we're going to be discussing the controversial guys. We're discussing players he thought were overlooked on the ballot. So it's going to be a jam-packed pod as always. So let's jump right into it. Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And without further ado, let's bring him on the podcast. Brett, come on down. How you doing today, sir? Hey, Miller, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, love, I love joining you on the podcast. You always have such a great energy, and the Diamondbacks definitely are blessed to have you on. I mean, you do a great job. Thanks. I appreciate it. I know you had a little basketball last night. Did you guys play a game? Did you guys win last night? Yeah, we did. We are 8-0 and on this young wow. season. I coach 7A basketball girls, and y'all may laugh at that and think that's <laughs> no big deal, but let me tell you, there's nothing more exciting than seventh grade female athletes that are coachable. And when you have a talented squad like I do, it's really fun to watch and play. Last night we had three starters out and a lot of my girls that were that were typically my second string players all got max minutes last night and they just absolutely crushed it. The defense was phenomenal. The offense was there. So I like where we're headed into our last game against our rival and then going to the district championship, hopefully winning it next Saturday. Okay, well, hopefully we got a few uh, future ASU recruits. I used to work for ASU women's basketball. So hopefully I see some of those in a maroon and gold uniform in just a few short years. But, Brett, we brought you on today to talk a little bit about the MLB Hall of Fame because, of course, everyone around the Lockdown Network right now is doing their ripping of the MLB Hall of Fame because it deserves to be ripped a little bit. I mean, the voting process is very contradictory and hypocritical, and you really don't know who is a Hall of Famer in these voters' eyes. So, what was your first reaction when you saw Big Poppy, who, of course, I think is deserving of the Hall of Fame, being the only guy to be inducted, you know, in a loaded ballot with guys like Barry Bonds and the A-Rods and the Mary Ramirez's? What was your instant reaction when you saw Big Poppy in and no one else? Well, my first reaction was probably what the rest of the baseball world had almost a resounding 
collective sigh of why not Bonds? Why not Clemens? And we all know about the steroid era. I mean, I know about it. I mean, my mm-hmm. favorite player, Mark McGuire, is part of that era. But when you talk about Barry Bonds and what he did in his career pre-1999, pre-steroid era, um, Roger Clemens, just his entire career from his rookie year in Boston all the way up to when he won the Cy Young with the Astros and nearly leading them. I mean, they almost won a World Series on pitching alone in 2005. Um, you know, Scott Rowland is a guy that I hadn't really thought about or talked about much in the Hall of Fame conversation but when you look at him in comparison to all time at his position at third base he really has a solid argument you know he's at 63.2 percent he's getting close and and he may make it um you know Kurt Schilling for me I just I think he kind of polarized himself and I think he I think he put himself on an island I didn't see him going anywhere but Billy Wagner, Billy Wagner, I think, really lacks a lot of respect. And talking about from an Astros perspective, watching this kid pitch, we called him Billy the Kid, watching him come out before Lidge. And I really think had he stayed with the Astros, um, had he stayed with the Astros through that that 04 and 05 season because he left in 03, um, had he been the closer, had they been able to keep him and Lidge, you know, who knows what would have happened with those Astros team. And if he would have won a World Series, who knows, maybe his price goes up or his value goes up. And then, you know, Andrew Jones is always out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think I think, I think, think the writers have beefs, and I think a lot of these older writers, they they remember the letter that they got from Joe Morgan saying don't don't let Barry in. They've heard what the, what the older players have said and feeling like they disrespected the game. But to play moral police all of a sudden because these guys don't – because they participated in something that I felt like the entire league was participating in, and two wrongs don't make a right. But even if it was quote-unquote banned in 1991, baseball absolutely did nothing to nothing. stop it. They were handing it out like it was Tic Tacs in the minor leagues. I know that for a fact. I had friends in the minor leagues at the time, <laughs> and to me – Baseball didn't care while their pockets were getting fat. And then when the congressmen, uh, the people I had never heard of in politics started grandstanding to make a name for themselves, then it became like a real issue. I just, you know, this is a league that changes baseball's midseason because of different teams playing on that night. I mean, are we are we really going to talk about integrity here? Um, Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent, I think is the other one that, I mean, at 32%, this guy's one of the best hitting third base. I mean, second baseman to ever play the game. I think Jeff Kent, I I wish he would have had more years. I wish they would have paid him to stay, um, a few more years in Houston because he was phenomenal for us. Key playoff hits, key playoff home run. Um, but I just think a rod and I'll I'll wrap my points up with this. I, I just think a rod kind of, a-Rod, you know, I don't know if you – I mean, A-Rod's had suspicion of Roy since since he entered the league. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I've heard stories of possibility all the way back to high school, this kid <laughs> really? doing – Yeah, I, I'm just saying, like – and I, I think A-Rod kind of, kind of wrote his own path to where the writer – he just rubbed the writers wrong. He came across arrogant, like he didn't – like he wasn't really that apologetic. And so sometimes when you treat people like jerks, they're going to be like, okay, well – you're not going to get my vote. And, and go ahead. 
And I'm pretty sure A-Rod actually admitted to using steroids during his playing career from when I think it was he, I think he said he used it during the seasons like 01 to 03. And then all of a sudden come around 2014, you get the whole biogenesis scandal. So now it's like, you're already admitted to using steroids earlier in your career. Now we're seeing steroids are just being shipped to your house, dude. Like it's going to make it your case pretty tough to get into the hall of fame. But even someone like Manny Ramirez, like how do you feel about him? Because obviously if you just look at the numbers, he's, one of the greatest players of all time, but he's a guy that felt like he, you know, the second half of his career felt like he failed the test every two years or so. Yeah. You know, Manny, I think in, and here's the thing we have to discuss this. Yes. Is steroids a performance enhancing drug? Absolutely. Does it help you do things better or hit the ball harder? Yeah. But you know what you have to be able to do? You have to be able to put the bat on the ball. You have to be able to hit the home run. You have to have the athleticism. You have to have the ability to keep working out and do that at a high level. And I think, man, I think with the multiple tests and the multiple positives really hurt him outside of that. I mean, you can't, you can't say that the guy wasn't hall of fame material when he played because he was absolutely clutch. I mean, I mean, how many key moments did he have for the, for, you know, for the Red Sox and just through his whole career was one of those fun players to watch, loved his personality, loved who he was on the field. And so, yeah, he's, just kind of one of those guys that I just don't think, you know, I just um, and I'm looking at some of these guys under five percent. What do you think about Tim Hudson? Um, I'm surprised he got so low. Do you, do you think he just didn't do enough? Do you think um, because he was he was a pretty solid guy to be at four point three percent or three percent? He was good. He was a workhorse. I just don't know if he had like the peak dominance of some other pitchers that we've seen. But I don't know if he was a guy that deserved to just be off the ballot entirely. I think he's probably closer to that Mark Burley world in terms of the level of pitcher he was. And I don't think Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer either. I think he was a workhorse, no doubt. Mark Burley averaged like 200 innings a year for like 14 years. But I don't think Mark Burley was like – I was never fearful of Mark Burley on the mound. I never felt like – I was like, okay, we're facing Mark Burley today. He's going to shut down my lineup. Like I felt like there were days you could definitely get to Mark Burley. If you look at his career era, it's like 3.8 with a career – 411 FIP. So I think Tim Hudson's probably in that Mark Burley range where it was like really good, low end kind of number one workhorse guy, but never really had the peak of some other dudes. And when you look at some of those five percenters that didn't make it, I think there are some interesting names. I think the guy I was telling my friend this yesterday, the guy that just saddens me and makes me depressed that he didn't, you know, go further because of the way his career started. It's just Tim Lincecum. Cause when you think about how his career started, he won back to back Cy Young's in his second, third year was another Cy Young candidate for the two years after that. But by the time he was like 27, he was already washed up and basically out the league in like three more years after that. So just seeing how his career started and how it finished, he definitely was on the track to make the hall of fame earlier in his career. And it just kind of, fell apart out of nowhere. So I think he's the guy that makes me the most depressed. He did. I mean, because, you know, I, I think they called him the freak just because of the way he threw the ball, his pitching motion, but he, he was absolutely electric. He was, he was one of those guys that did. I don't know if batters necessarily were afraid to, to like go in the box with him, but when they got in there, they didn't know what was coming at him. And he, he just had such a great arm angle. I mean, just, like you said, the back-to-back Cy Youngs. I mean, who does that? I mean, this kid um, was phenomenal. I think his length of career, I think you have it right. I think you hit the nail on the head. His career length, had he, let's say he pitches till he's 32, 33, yeah. 34. Um, I think then you have a more solid case. And to me, 
if these writers are looking at longevity or, okay, you know, player A had four peak years where player B had eight peak or eight years where they were solid. Okay. You're going to go with the eight year guy, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to go with the guy, but another guy that I'm kind of shocked that isn't getting more votes is Andy Pettit. And I know he admitted to using steroids and he said the reason why he did it was for recovery. I'm like, he's like one of the winningest pitchers in postseason history. I mean, this guy has done nothing but win and he was consistent. And I I just was shocked that, that he doesn't get more love there on the ballot. I think for me, Andy Pettit, I, cause I'm the guy that's like, we have to put more stock into their postseason success, like a big poppy. I think a big reason why he's a hall of famer is because I think he's the greatest postseason performer we've ever seen. And Andy Pettit's another one of those guys that stepped up in the biggest moments, but I don't feel like, like when I look at a Kurt Schilling, who's kind of in the same vein, I felt like Kurt Schilling was a better regular season guy than Andy Pettit, even though they were both dominant in the postseason. I think I trusted a Kurt Schilling a little bit more in the regular season. I think Andy Pettit kind of had that, Again, I'm going to bring him up, but if you look at like the raw numbers, I think he was kind of Mark Burley-ish, where it's like one season he might be a 3-5 guy, one season might be a 4-2 guy, but once you got to the playoffs, you know he's going to be pitching like a Cy Young Award winner. I just don't feel like he always felt like that during the regular season. I felt like there was more stock and potential in a guy like Kurt Schilling. I felt like he was better in the day-to-day than Andy Pettit. So for me, I, I feel like also it helps that he was on the Yankees and had that brand behind him a little bit. I'm not sure if Andy Pettit's on another team if he's viewed as highly as he is now so Andy Pettit's uh to me is a, a, a little fluky of a case but I got a big curveball for you Brett that I want to ask you but first I want to tell you about Bilt Bar Brett because have you ever heard of Bilt Bar I'm sure you've had it what's your favorite flavor my favorite flavor is chocolate chip cookie dough I mean it is dude uh, it is it is phenomenal I've got a fridge full of them to be honest Millard we love oh, really? Bar. yeah no Bilt Bar goes hard every time I know Jake Mastriani had a former player on he was talking about how he loves Bilt Bar I'm pretty sure Troy Aikman or it was another 49ers old 49ers quarterback out here might have been Troy Aikman or someone else that he was hosting in like a golf event and he was giving out Bilt Bars to all his friends because oh Bilt no Bar- hold on Aikman is a, Aikman is a Cowboys quarterback you might want to correct yeah. that. Cowboys fans might come after you. Yeah, I, I, I know. He's oh, Cowboys, okay, okay. <laughs> I I was thinking 49ers QB, but I know he's the Cowboys QB. But I'm not sure if it was Aikman or if it was like – it wasn't Joe Montana. It might have been Aikman. But that's besides the point. It was a former Hall of Fame quarterback that was giving out Bill Bars to his event because – it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar covered in 100% real chocolate, soft and easy to chew, low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for that keto diet. Just go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Now, Brett, I do want to throw a little curveball at you because you okay. brought up how even though they did steroids, they still had to hit the ball and make contact and all that. So you being the Astros guy, what do you think is a greater advantage, taking steroids or being tipped to the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you would you would pigeonhole me, Millard. Yeah, you you told me you wouldn't do that. I'm joking. I, um, <laughs> let I me see know. here. I, well, um it depends. Are they using the Yes Network TV cameras or are they using a trash can? 
Um, because, you know, the very first televised game that the Yankees were on, they actually used TV cameras, but I digress. Um, I think that either, I think either way, you still have to have the talent. Mm -hmm. Um, when I heard Pete Rose break down how ridiculous he thought it was that it gave them advantage, he goes, he goes, so I'm a batter in a box and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting to hear one or two bangs. And then I've got to go, okay, now a curveball's coming, and I'm looking at a guy, and the ball's about to come out of his hand. He goes, do you think as a hitter I really have time to do all that thinking? He goes, that's absurd to think that that really gave them an advantage. And, and I think that in the steroid era where you had I, – I think it's even because I, I honestly don't think the Astros were doing – anything other than what other people were doing. They just found the most archaic, stupid way to do it. Everybody else was using technology. Um, and I think the the steroids is more of an advantage if the pitcher or the other side is not using them, right? If like, if it's just hitters, but it was hitters and pitchers, you know, it mm -hmm. was both. Um, I think if one, one, one side is doing it and the other isn't, it's clearly, it clearly gives you an advantage because it's, it's taking aspects of the game that aren't natural to, to put your performance above your opponents, you know? And so at the end of the day, it really depends on who's doing it. Um, apparently the Yankees did it, but they still couldn't win. We did it and we won. So, I mean, <laughs> call that cocky, but that's just how we roll here in H-Town. Yeah, and that's kind of why I don't feel too bad because there's a bunch of teams that have been caught over the last few years. Not to the extent, I guess, of the Astros, but the Yankees, right. the Red Sox, they've all been told to knock it off with the sign stealing and, and you use know, the technology. And, you know, I just want to say this for your listeners who may have only heard me once or something if, you know, because I know Eric and I, um, we joined forces with you earlier on and stuff like that. I'm not – I've never been in the ballpark where – like I'm just okay. Well, you know, my team did it, your team did it, so it's okay. I'm not, I'm not happy they did it. Like I'm like you had the most one of the most talented teams ever assembled. Like why the hell would you, like taint this? Right? Why would you? Why would you even give the chance of the suspicion? Right? Mm -hmm. So that at the end of the day is still frustrating. So I don't really condone it, but I also am not going to die on the island of, oh, well, you know, we invented this horrible thing called lack of integrity or cheating in baseball when, I'm sorry, folks, it's always been there. Yeah, cheating in baseball synonymous is what I always say. I mean, go back to the Black Sox, the steroid era. I mean, we just saw a crackdown on sticky stuff because too many <laughs> pitchers are, you know, the, the ball sticking to their hands and the, the rotation on their pitches is absolutely insane. So I think cheating in baseball is just always going to be synonymous. And the old cliche is if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> Looking at Andy Pettit's numbers, I, I feel like he has many as many years with an ERA above four as he does below four. Oh, so okay. Just, an, just another reason only a two-time all-star but how about someone like odd helton he's someone that i feel like people especially i think people around my age you know 30 and younger probably really think todd helton's a hall of famer where do you stand on him you know todd helton i i just think you know unfortunately i think the whole colorado thing hmm. hurts him i mean i don't i don't know what his home and road splits are um i know that's that that's one of my big reservations with trevor's story i mean you know, possibly coming to the Astros. It's like, look at his road, look at his road hitting versus his home hitting. And, you know, the old, the old argument of, well, do they have an advantage being in Denver? But Todd Helton, you know, for what he did on the field with his glove and his bat, I mean, look, if he produced the numbers and he's got the career numbers, you can't like 
tell the guy, well, because you're in this stadium, you clearly don't have an advantage over the guy in this stadium because it's not fair. It's not like he had a choice, right? Like we're like, we're going to let you play in Denver or we're going to let you play in SoCal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, he played there for his career. I don't think he should be punished for that, but I think that may play a lot into why he's not a little bit higher, but he is in the top 10. So he's not far. How many years does he have left to be voted in? Do you know? Yeah, I can tell you right now. I got pulled up. This was Todd Helton's fourth year on the ballot, so he's still got uh, six more years, I guess. So he he should be fine. And he he's was got at, time to build up steam. And yeah. I think as these guys fall off, he still I think he keeps moving up. Yeah, especially because in the next segment we're going to look ahead to next year's ballot. And we were talking off the pod like it's going to pre- be a pretty weak ballot that we're going to discuss uh, pretty soon here. But yeah, Todd Helton, like you said, as the years move on and there's weaker candidates on the ballot, I think it'll just make his uh, career seem better than maybe that it was. But I think he had a pretty great career overall. His r- home road splits, I mean, they were definitely better at home, but he was still putting up all-star level numbers on the road. Okay. It looks like when you look at the home road split. So I still think he probably gets in considering he's at 52% now, fourth year on the ballot. I think he'll eventually get in. He had a pretty long prime, not not super long. He had a he had a pretty long prime in terms of being a power hitter. Uh, or I should say he had a shorter prime in terms of being a power hitter, but being overall as like an all-star plus level player, I think that was like a 10-year stretch. So I think Todd Helton definitely is going to get in eventually because I think he has the strong enough numbers. But two guys that are no longer on the ballot because they didn't crack 5%, that I think should have at least had 5% of the votes. They're both played the same position. That is Joe Nathan and Jonathan Papelbon. I don't know how you feel, but Papelbon and Nathan are both guys, top 10 in career saves. Papelbon, another one of those guys where 2-4-4 ERA in the regular season. But when you look at his postseason numbers, the only time he gave up an earned run was in his very last outing. He had a terrible outing his last time out, three earned runs. But his first 26 innings out there never gave up an earned run in the postseason. And Joe Nathan, if you take his best seven-year stretch of his career, is basically as good as any closer in MLB history. So how do you feel about those two random guys that I just threw out there? Now, remind me because I don't remember. Nathan, how how long was he in Minnesota? Was he with Minnesota his whole career? He was or? in – he bounced around. So he was on the Giants to start his career. Then he had a couple all-stars with Minnesota. He was there for seven years. Then he went to Texas for a little bit, there for a couple okay. years, the Tigers. So he kind of bounced around. Maybe maybe that hurts him because I, I think it's easier I, to I get think, more I think his I think his bouncing around more than anything and the teams he played for probably hurt him. Hmm. Um, very, very quality guy. Um, I mean, for – for what he did, you know, for this specialized role. And, you know, that's the thing that, that these voters are going to have to come to grips with is, is we don't have the the um, 300 win, you know, 200 plus inning pitchers anymore. And we are in the era of, I mean, what's going to happen to, let's say you have a middle reliever that comes in and, and he's your and he's your two to three inning guy. And then he, he goes to like a setup guy, then a closer guy, but he has Hall of Fame numbers. Are they just going to throw him out because he lives in a specialized pitching era and they're just such, you know, such these old dogs set in their ways. And so I think you have to look at that. I don't know if I would go with, with Joe Nathan, I think John Papelbon to me mm. is is more worthy of that. Um, but then again, you know, are we 
are we looking at guys because of championships and teams they stay with, or are we looking at the overall body of work? And if they say, well, I don't like their overall body of work. Okay. Then they can explain that to me. But I think Papelbon to me seems like a guy that should still be there, should still get some time to get some traction because he was very good at what he did. And again, that's the problem with the specialized pitching position. Millard is <laughs> limited outings, limited innings. You know, I mean, Billy Wagner's got 901 innings. I mean, this guy was absolutely dominant in his dominant years. And one of the best closures that I've ever seen that this kid, this left-hander could, the way he could throw the speed at which he threw. I, I just think these relief pitchers, I mean, the mindset I think has to change. I think there's a mindset issue where you're used to your Lee Smiths. And I mean, Trevor Hoffman, I mean, you would have thought, I mean, you know, he got in, but um, there was still some question before he got voted in. Is he a hall of famer? Like, yeah, absolutely. He's a hall of famer, you know? Yeah. It feels like closers have one of the tougher times getting in. Maybe them and catchers have the two toughest times because closer, they're only coming in for one inning, and if they don't get that saved, then they really don't have the stats to back them up to get into the Hall of Fame. Same with well, catchers. it's like right. It's like in the NFL, like you have a kicker, or like God forbid, a punter. Like let, let's say you have a punter that averaged like sixty-five yards a punt for his career, and you know he was he was hitting the coffin's corner. And well, what are you going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame because he chose the position of punter? Like if he was the best at his position and Hall of Fame at his position, freaking put him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's what, like 110 players in the Hall of Fame? I was shocked when I heard that. Like, how for the NFL? Players, no, for the for, for, for baseball. Oh, for baseball. Well, that makes sense after seeing how their yeah. voting process yeah, goes. It's, <laughs> it's insane. It's like, whoa, that's because there's been like 20,000 plus players in MLB history. And now there's like, I mean, there's there's not even 200 players in the Hall of Fame. So it's pretty exclusive, you know? Um, and I that's, just, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with the exclusivity because it's the be. Hall of Fame. Yeah, it should be. But I think just the the process of how it goes of who is or who isn't a Hall of Famer just seems a lot of times contradictory because you'd be like, oh, all these guys who are top 10 in these stats, they're not in the Hall of Fame, but you got that guy in who was maybe a borderline guy his whole career, putting that guy in. So I just think the whole process is just too muddied, I guess. And we just, it's it just too hard to determine who is and who's not a Hall of Famer. At least in basketball, it feels like everyone gets into the Hall of Fame. So it's a lot easier to determine who or who is a Hall of Famer. In baseball, you honestly just don't know. Yeah. And another thing, I want to know what you think about this. Like voters that have votes mm-hmm. and turn in blank ballots. Oh, I hate I hate the idea of turning in a blank ballot, but I heard someone bring this up. What might even be worse than a blank ballot, just only submitting a ballot where it's like just Jeff Kent or like just Omar Vizquel or something. It's like, how are those guys the only Hall of Famers, but everyone else isn't a Hall of Famer? Like stuff like that. I'd rather you just not vote for anyone than just make a mockery of it and only vote for like the 10th best player on the list. Because what they should do, okay, um, Ian Happ, I don't know if you saw this, Ian Happ from the Cubs mm-hmm. said – Players that have 10 years experience or more should have a vote for the Hall of Fame. I was like, oh, that that's interesting. Now that throws a whole lot of people in the mix, right? That mm-hmm. then you kind of you kind of get to where you're almost getting like a like a little local county election going there. <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, if a voter doesn't use their voter, they're like, okay, you you have 10 votes. Is it is it 10 votes they have? Oh uh, yeah, 12? I think they can, yeah, I think 10? they can vote for 10. If it's 10, I say me, dude, I'm hardcore. 
if you don't use all 10, then you have a minimum of eight. If you don't use eight, you lose your voting. Like we will, we will look for another application. We will fill your spot. If you're not going to vote, you don't have a vote because it's a waste. It's a complete waste. And I know, I know, you know, and I know plenty of guys that freelance, write That write for, for national sites that are very good amateur writers that would take that and run with it and just really do it a good job. And they would take it seriously. Yeah, because even the one, the Boston Globe writers submitted a blank balance. Like, how did you not even vote for David Ortiz? I don't even understand. Yeah, don't even get me started on the Boston. Was it was it like Shaughnessy? Yeah, Dan O'Shaughnessy. Oh my God, don't even get me started on those guys. I don't want to. I don't want to badmouth anybody today because man, being from Houston, I really don't like those guys. Yeah, I feel that. I got I got a couple more questions I want to ask you, Brett. But first, I need to tell you about Bet Online. Has they made sports betting legal in Texas yet? They have not. There are a lot of people clamoring for it, but um, you know, we're still able to go to betonline.ag though. Hey, there you go. I'm pretty sure Louisiana made it legal a couple days ago because betonline.ag, as Brett told you, even if you're not in a legal state, you can still go there because there might be less football being played, but BetOnline has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season from scored totals player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land bet online is the number one spot for all things nfl betting in 2022 and with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use our promo code locked on to get started and it is not just football bet online basketball Hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Play and wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Brett, you touched on him a little bit earlier, but how do you feel about Kurt Schilling not making the Hall of Fame? Is he someone that you felt like he was undeserving or do you feel like he was deserving, but the character clause, you know, keeps him out of it? Because I'll just tell you, I, of course, don't agree with anything he says, but in terms of the player, I feel like Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not just saying that because I'm the D-backs guy and he helped win us a World Series. Like he won multiple World Series. He had huge, iconic postseason moments with the bloody sock game and even outside that when he got to the postseason he literally pitched on a randy johnson level because he was co-world series mvps with randy johnson so if you're pitching on the same level as that guy then i think you deserve to be in the hall of fame yeah i do i i think you i think he deserves to be in the hall of fame i haven't really said a whole lot publicly about it because i know the political environment from which we live is very volatile and people are kind of looking to hang on every word that you say and catch you slipping up. And, and, you know, I think, but, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, think about the progression in life and just, and just, you know, Kurt Schilling, I mean, he's set in his ways. He, he has his ideas and everybody has a right to their own opinion. And, but I think too, more so that him saying, well, why don't, but didn't he say he didn't even want to be on the ballot yeah. or he didn't even want to be in the hall? So mm-hmm. to me, him saying that to me would nullify him for that reason. But his play on the field, he absolutely should be 
a Hall of Famer because he performed at a Hall of Fame level. You know, he was a, he was once an Astro um, early, early in his career. And um, it was just one of those things where you knew once he started kind of opening that can of worms and he started talking and saying more stuff, I'm like, nah, he's going to sink his ship. Like, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame. And because because people people I mean, we see it. These guys vote with their emotions. Um, mm, they vote very. with they vote with their ideology. And it should be an unbiased like like me voting for Barry Bonds. Like if Barry Bonds says something politically that I don't agree with, that should not sway my vote. I, I think if you earned your spot in the hall unless you did something and got banned from baseball, like, like I can understand Pete Rose not going in cause he's, he's literally banned. Right. Yeah. Um, but should be there. Yeah. I just, I think, yes, he should be in the hall of fame. He should be a hall of famer, but I think he hurt his case more than anybody being against him. He didn't help himself any. Yeah. I think part of the reason why he says he doesn't want to be in the Hall of Fame is just because he's reading the tea leaves. Like Roger Clemens basically says the same thing. Like they both know they're controversial guys and they True. both know they're not going to get the vote. So they're like, hey, I don't even want to be there because you're not going to vote for me. It's one of those like, I'm quitting. You're not firing me. I'm quitting. So I think, hey. kind of, <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of one of those situations with those guys. But like you said, my biggest problem with the voting process is that these voters are emotional when they're doing like it should be black and white unbiased do you think this guy's in or not like it shouldn't be well personally i had a couple bad interactions with this guy so i'm not gonna vote him in like there should be no personal feelings when it comes to the vote now i think i think it's like major character flaws like you know you've got it yeah you've got you've got a rap sheet you've got a you've got a domestic violence issue you you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying like but there wasn't anything like that, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with okay because trust me, I interact and I know people that I disagree with vehemently on various things, whether it's sports or anything. And you know what? At the end of the day, we're still friends. We still hang out. We still like. We still love each other. You know, and I mean that's what makes the world go round. Yeah, and there's worse people than Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. The guy who kept baseball segregated is in the MLB Hall of Fame, and that guy's not being taken out. So uh, when people are like that in the Hall of Fame, like it's the same reason where it's like there's people in the Hall of Fame who did steroids before because they weren't always banned. And so there's already steroid users in the Hall of Fame. It's the same reason. So really when it comes to steroid use, I'm like, if you tested positive during the testing era, and you tested multiple times like a guy like Manny Ramirez, even though he was one of my favorite players growing up, I feel like you probably shouldn't make the Hall of Fame because if you're failing during the testing era, then that's kind of on you. If it's pre-testing, pre-Mitchell Report, I do not care. Put all those steroid users in the Hall of Fame. It does not matter to me. But when you – and also with the Hall of Fame voting process, uh, the NFL does the same thing. Like they kept Terrell Owens out of the Hall of Fame for like three years because they just didn't like him off the field, even though Terrell Owens was – I don't know why I'm saying his name so weird. Terrell Owens. It was Terrell, like a Terrell. You're, you're like Terrell Owens. You're yeah. just like emphasizing that. I don't know why I kept saying Terrell, but Terrell Owens, he was like top three in every NFL wide receiver statistic, and he had to wait like three years to make the NFL Hall of Fame. So it's not even just MLB. It's really a lot of sports that do the same thing. I'm even getting heated and red just discussing it. So before we end it's up. It's all good. No, <laughs> yeah. man, I thought I thought you were about to go Stephen A. Smith. Well, let me tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to go crazy. But when you look ahead to next year's ballot, Brett, let me calm down a little bit. The yes, next year's ballot is not—it's not looking too strong, sir. So, when you're looking at next year's ballot, are there any first timers or returners on next year's ballot that you think has a strong chance of making it? 
strong chance. Well, I mean, you've got the controversial Carlos Beltran. Um, yeah, a little controversial too. <laughs> a little bit of controversy there. Uh, maybe, maybe one of the orchestrators of Houston. Um, you know, um, also, you know, came, you know, that's weird. You know, Carlos Beltran came to Houston and did crazy stuff early on in his career. And, you know, in 04, when he hit like those nine postseason home runs and then he left and went to the Mets. Um, I got to tell you this real quick. There was a guy. So I was there when the Mets came to Houston, his first game and the boos were unbelievable. This guy unfailed a banner by the by the Conoco home run pump. And it said hot dog at the game, five dollars tickets to the game, twenty dollars. Carlos Beltran worthless. It was like the whole mods like bang, like they hated on him. Um, an interesting name on here. I see Matt Kane. Matt Kane for the Giants. Um, I mean, he's a he's a three-time World Series champion. I mean, he's part of that Giants team that won like every other year. Um, does that play a part? Um, Francisco Rodriguez, I didn't realize was fourth all time in saves. Yeah, it's crazy. Thirty saves. Four, look at four hundred thirty-seven saves. That is, and and you know, look again. You and I have been having this discussion. Are they worthy? Not not do not do I think because like if I hear Francisco Rodriguez, I just don't think Hall of Fame. But maybe he did enough. But if Francisco Rodriguez did enough, I think Billy Wagner did plenty. So John Lackey, three times, three time World Series champion. I, I don't, I don't like Lackey on there. No, I'm out. Um, but Matt Kane might be a guy that sneaks up. I haven't looked at Matt Kane's overall career numbers. Um, I know he had a, I know he had a no hitter against the Astros. I don't know if it's a no hitter perfect game or just a no hitter in San Francisco. And then I just think Carlos Beltran. I don't see like how do you fire a guy from a job he was hired because he was connected to a scandal? And then how do you advocate for that guy? And at the same time, supposedly all the guys in Houston ruined their chances at the hall, which I don't think they did. I think that'll all go away by the time they're up. But who else is out there on this new ballot? Because there were some other names. I don't have the full list in front of me. I was like, we're really considering these guys. Yeah. <laughs> and of I know. course. It, that is the process. Once you're eligible, your name goes on the ballot, and not everybody goes on the ballot every year. So there's it's a it's a slow matriculation of names. Yeah, like Stephen Drew and Joe Blanton are on the ballot. Like we we could those guys. No, 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 Stephen, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, those guys aren't getting in. I think one other guy that has a strong case to maybe potentially not make it as a first ballot, but maybe make it one day. I think it's Jared Weaver, who was like a pretty good ace for a majority of his time in his playing career. I want to say like a seven or eight year prime, but when we get off this pot and you go look up Matt Cain's numbers, I think you're going to be left a little sad because it's going to be very oh. reminiscent of Tim Lincecum. He was great. Like the first five years of his career. Okay. And then seriously, he was done by like the age of 27, 28. Like he's another one of those guys that when he entered his late twenties, like, I don't know what happened, but it just all fell off the wheels for a Matt Cain. So he's another one of those guys, like you said, he was elite when he was at his peak. He got that. Okay. And I, yeah. And I couldn't, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't remember that. Um, I couldn't remember exactly how long it was. I mean, you know, he was in San Francisco, but you know, that's the thing. Like I said, when you look at their numbers, you know, like, is there, is there criteria? Like, do they have to have seven solid years? You know what I'm saying? Do they have to have like, what is the threshold? Um, do you punish a guy? Let's let's say a guy's having a Hall of Fame career for six years or seven years and he gets injured, but yet in those six or seven years, he was the best ever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do you like do you like punish that guy because 
he he had some freak injury and he's done with baseball. You know, I mean, yeah. it's the peak versus longevity argument. Uh, argument. Exactly. No, yeah. exactly. So like someone like Pedroia, like he wasn't the best second baseman in baseball, but it felt like he was on a Hall of Fame track, you know, up until age 30, won the MVP, won the Rookie of the Year. But after all those injuries came in, his career just fell apart those last few years. And now you look at Pedroia and like, I don't I don't know if he makes it. Like if you told me at age 30, if I had to go to bed online, does Pedroia make the Hall of Fame? At age 30, I'd be like, oh, yes, he's a no doubter one day. But now you look at it 10 years later, and you're like, I don't know if Pedroia makes it. Like, I don't know if he had... The, the peak i don't know if his career was long enough so yeah it's definitely an interesting question when you have the peak first career if you go on baseball reference they have this thing called war seven which just takes the best seven years of war from mm. a player so that's kind of fun you could do it here for next year's ballot i'll do it real quick number one is going to be a rod which i don't think is that surprising for war seven but number two is todd helton which I think is pretty interesting. Andrew Jones is three, then Carlos Beltran, number four. One other guy who will be on the ballot next year who's not a first-timer who is returning that I think just doesn't get brought up enough, it's Gary Sheffield, because when you look at his numbers, they're absolutely insane. Sheffield played 22 years, and he had a 292 average over 22 years. So that basically means for the 14 years he was in his prime, he was like a, a 320 guy, basically. He averaged... 25 home runs, like 25 stolen bases for 162 games. His numbers are absolutely insane. I think he should at least get more consideration. Andrew Jones, I think, should get more. I think Scott Rowland probably makes the next year. I think Todd Helton, too. And then we'll see with the newcomers. A lot of these guys are just, uh, they just leave me feeling cold. So I don't know. But K-Rod is definitely a guy who, like, when I first saw the name, I was like, huh, K-Rod, that's interesting. But when you look at his numbers, he was like 45, 45, 67, 45. And then it dipped off a little bit to like the 20s. And then he had some late career revival where he was like 36 years old. And now he's going 35, 45, 45 again. So <laughs> he kind of had two careers, you know, during his playing career. So I would love to see, you know, his argument on the ballot next season. And we'll see. You brought up John Lackey. That guy is he had the couple World Series, but he's not. He's nowhere near my Hall of Fame. No, that's never, the thing. Yeah. No, yeah. right. But, you know, when you look at MLB.com and they're featuring these guys, you know, that's the first thing they bring up. Do they have yeah. World Series titles? Do they have this? But if that's the case, then you got to bring Andy Pettit back in the picture because he was the most, like you said, the most clutch playoff performer. But it is, like we discussed, it is the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of who did best in the playoffs. It's not the Hall of who won the titles. It's the Hall of Fame. And it's a very, very exclusive bunch. But that's why I think if they're going to give 10 votes, they should use all 10 votes every year unless they can unanimously decide that a certain player doesn't deserve to be on the ballot, then you take them off the ballot. And if no one's going to vote for player X, then get them off the ballot. Why is he even on there? You know what I'm saying? Um, we're just kind of giving people false hopes here. Yeah, there's two players on this year's ballot that didn't get a vote, and I just want to shout them out real quick, Jake Peavy and Carl Crawford. I was kind of surprised to see. I don't think Carl Crawford was a Hall of Famer, but not one vote when a guy like A.J. Pruszynski or something <laughs> like that gets a vote. I thought it was pretty shocking. Crawford had uh, a pretty good time. It just, yeah, felt, a, it just came off quickly. A.J. Pruszynski is one of those guys that people in Houston do not like. We don't like his <laughs> voice. Really? We don't like what he did to us in 05. I mean, none of that stuff. So, A.J., sorry, A.J. Um, hey, you know what, though? You did something I couldn't do. You made it to the major league, so I can't knock you for that. Good job. Hey, can't knock him for that. We'll never be in the – well, maybe you never know. We could get in as podcast hosts now, Brett. We could get in as media people. So let's not say we'll never be in the MLB Hall of Fame. Hey, 
I've got my own logo. I've got stickers with my face on it. And so, dude, I'm going places, baby. (laughs) Damn, I need to get me a logo like that. Brett, thanks for making the time today. Thanks for hopping on. Where for the people who are listening and and not watching this pod, where can they find you on social media? They can find me at H-Town Wheelhouse on Twitter and Instagram and at Stros411 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find me on Locked On Astros on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. So come by, check us out, send us a shout out, subscribe to us as well. And hey, we'll send people your way, Millard, as well. Appreciate it. Go check out Brett and his partner in crime, Eric Heisman of the Lockdown Astros podcast. They're also on YouTube like we are as well. So go check them out on YouTube. Brett, enjoy the rest of your basketball season. Looking forward to talking more baseball in the future. And hopefully this lockout ends soon. Adios, sir. That's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to today's edition of the podcast. Go back and catch up on any episodes you might have missed this week. We had a little pod with JT Shorter yesterday. That was really fun, so go check that out. And, of course, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. And... Go make your second listen of the day, Lockdown Bets with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, because if you want some extra money in your pocket, they will certainly help you out. Of course, guys, as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!